0: Glad to be with you this morning. This is a, a great event. It's kind of bittersweet, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, you know, for most of it, you're, you, you've got a few tears, and we've seen some. I know there's one or two <laughs> that just, wait, just can't wait for them to get out the door so they can get busy, right? <laughs> let, let me just begin by commending you as a congregation. Uh, Your character, your example, and what you have been and done over these years of Pastor Dave's leadership, he would not be appointed to this position if it hadn't been for you. The way you have conducted yourself, followed his leadership, you've been responsive, you've supported him, you've partnered together in the gospel, and that's evident, I think, even by what we've already seen this morning. And uh, so we commend you as a congregation and encourage you to continue in that. Follow your leadership, be a part, get engaged, and, and be a part of what God has in store. Far from retiring, let's be clear, what he's moving into is not a retirement position. <laughs> uh, he is picking up the mantle to a much broader ministry, uh, guiding, supporting, encouraging pastors, uh, churches across our great Northwest. And so you as a congregation, we'll share in the eternal rewards as he creates spiritual value in our churches across the Northwest, because you've been a part of building on that foundation and instilling into his life the character and uh, the direction that God has given him. You know, a pastor was saying farewell to his congregation at the church door for the last time, and he shook the hands of people outside, an elderly lady came by, and, and she says, no, your successor won't be as good as you nonsense, said the pastor in a flattered tone. She says, no, really. I've been here through five pastors, and every one has been worse than the one before. <laughs> I imagine you've probably heard the old joke, how many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? <laughs> If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis 12, Genesis 12, we're going to talk a little bit about change, when things change, Pastor Phil addressed, Pastor Dave, I get to address you as a congregation, and how do we change, how do we adapt to change, how do we move with change, what do we do in the midst of change, how do we approach it, how do we think about it? In Genesis 12, the Lord is speaking to Abram, and he said, get out of your country, From your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haram. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Mori, and the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountains east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south. I'm going to take a little break. We're going to come back to those verses in a few minutes. Uh, A few years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of ministering in India. And the thing about India is it's a long ways away. (laughs) And it takes a long airplane to get there. Been there, done that. (laughs) And so I sometimes have a hard time on a plane. I I just want to sit and veg. Uh, But I usually take some books along with me because you can only watch so many movies, you know, on an airplane. And one of the the, uh, books that I read on that particular flight was a very insightful book by Spencer Johnson, M.D., Who Moved My Cheese? Who Moved My Cheese? It's a great little book, Creative, Insightful Parable, about the conflicting emotions and the reactions that take place when major change is going on in our life. Now, most of us don't volunteer for change. (laughs) But change we must. Change is a part of life. It's, It's just a part of the fabric of what goes on. It's inevitable. It's a part of the journey of life and faith. So... Let me share with you a summary of this little parable. Once upon a time, there were four little characters. They were, ran through a maze to find the cheese that would nourish and make them happy. There was Sniff and there was Scurry, and the other two were little people, and they were Hem and Haw. And every day, the little mice and the little people, they would spend their day in the maze, searching around, trying to find the cheese that would make them happy. Sniff would put his little nose in the airy and Scurry would scurry on ahead. Now, Hem and Haw, being little people instead of mice, they used their ability to think and to learn from past experiences. And they relied on their brains to develop more sophisticated methods of finding cheese. Now, eventually, all four of these characters found themselves in the maze at Cheese Station C. Every morning from then on, the mice and the little people would dress in their running gear and head over to Cheese Station C. Sniff would scurry about, and Sniff and Scurry, they'd hang their running shoes around their necks, ready to go, and uh, hem and haw. Well, they began to settle in. They began to make it like home. They put their shoes away. They didn't assume they would be needing those again. And pretty soon, they regarded Cheese Station C as their cheese. Sometimes they might share some with friends, but they would often say, we really deserve this cheese. And they would say to each other these things, and they would waddle home rather contentedly. After a while, Hem and Haw developed a certain measure of confidence, and that turned into arrogance of success. Soon, they became so comfortable, they didn't even notice what was happening. Now, Sniff and Scurry, they continued their routine. They would arrive early in the morning... They would scratch and sniff and scurry around, inspecting the area to see if anything had changed. And then they would sit down and nibble on their cheese. Well, one morning, they arrived to discover that there was no cheese at Cheese Station C. And they weren't surprised since they had been paying attention all along the way. So on went their running shoes. And Sniff put his little nose in the area and scurry, headed on ahead. Now, Ham and Haw, they had not been paying attention. And they had taken for granted that the cheese was always going to be there. And when they arrived, they were unprepared for what they found. What? No cheese, Hem said? Who moved my cheese? Haw couldn't believe it either. And for days, the two of them kept coming back, hoping that their cheese would show up again. The little people were growing weak from their hunger and stress, but they kept returning and they kept waiting and finally, one day, him began to laugh at himself, or rather, ha, laughed at himself. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> he says, we keep doing the same thing over and over and wonder why things don't get better. Realizing that his fear had taken hold of him, he searched for his running shoes, which he never thought he would have to use again, and he began his journey. And along his journey, he learned many things. And if you want to jot a few of these things down, I would recommend that. Here's some principles of change that Haw learned on his journey. The first thing he learned is that having cheese makes you very happy. You see, it's about familiarity. It's about comfort. It's about stability and routine. And those kinds of things tend to make us comfortable. Cheese station C. Another thing he learned is that the more important your cheese is to you, the more you'll want to hold on to it. And that can keep us so fixated on our current situation that we miss and avoid the things that God has in store for us around the corner. He also learned that if you don't change, you can become extinct. Folks, this is an important lesson for our churches today. We need to adapt appropriately. In matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. But we need to adapt Another lesson that Hall learned is that change happens. I love the question, what would you do if you were not afraid? Now, yeah, it could be a part of your spiritual life. It could be part of your your social life. It could be part of your ambitions in general. What would you do if you were not afraid, afraid of things that uh, create security like finances? What would you do if you weren't afraid of others' opinions? Well, another lesson that Hall learned was that uh, he needed to anticipate change, get ready for the cheese to move. You see, if we're not moving forward with God, we're regressing. We grow when we go and when we do it according to God's promptings. He also learned that he needed to monitor change. In other words, smell the cheese often so you know if it's getting old and needs changing. (laughs) And then he learned that he had to actually change. Move with the cheese. It said that it is safer to search in the maze than to remain in a cheeseless situation. And then, church, we need to adapt to change quickly. Not forgetting what has been, but adapting to what needs to be. Movement in a new direction helps us find new cheese. The sooner you find the new cheese, the sooner you find new joy and new contentment. And the final thing that he learned was that he needed to enjoy change. Don't begrudge it. Don't view it as something you have to endure. Savor the adventure. Enjoy the taste of new cheese. Now, Haw, in the little parable, began to let go of his fear and embrace change. He let go of the past and was adapting to the present. And then around a corner in the maze he'd never been in before, he came upon Cheese Station N, new cheese, filled with everything, the greatest supply of cheese he'd ever found, all kinds of different things. And there they were, sniff and scurry with their fat little bellies, showing that they'd been there for quite some time. And he took off his running shoes, put them around his neck in case he needed them again, and began to enjoy the new cheese. But he wondered about him. Was he still back at Cheese Station C, hemmed in by his inability to change? You see, Haw had come a long way since Cheese Station C, but he knew that it would be easy for him to slip back and become too comfortable. So each day he would inspect and see the condition of the cheese. And he would go out and he would explore, even though he still had plenty here. And during one of those explorations, he began to hear a little noise and sounded like something was moving closer, and he thought, maybe that's him. Now with that in mind, jump back with me to Genesis chapter 12. We read of that great patriarch, Abraham. Abraham was at an age where he was ready to take the sneakers off and put the slippers on, get in the rocking chair, and enjoy the rest of life. However, God comes to Abraham with an offer to put his sneakers on, be part of a very bold initiative that was to be part of his salvation plan for the human race. You and I are part of that great work that God began with Abraham. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are of Abraham, his spiritual lineage. The nation of Israel that came out of Abraham ultimately produced the Lord Jesus who came to save us from our sins to give us hope, to give us eternal life. So when God came to Abraham, he was ready to do something special. He was ready to, as the parable says, move the cheese. He's doing something new. And he chose Abraham and his clan followed. So there's a few lessons that we need to learn from Abraham. As I begin in verse 1, I learned that we don't always get the privilege of knowing where God is taking us. Now, Pastor Dave has a pretty good idea where God is taking him and kind of what's involved in that ministry. Doesn't know all the specifics, but here we sit as a church in a congregation, we say our leader is moving on, now where do we go? What is God doing? See, verse 1 says, the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. He didn't say, go to this land. He just said, go to a land. Just get going. I'll, I'll direct you in path. A ship doesn't get to change direction unless it's in motion. Right? And the same with the church. We need to be busy about the work and allow God to direct our path as we see ministry opportunities open. Abram didn't know where he was going. God said, go, and he would show him as he was going. So sometimes we have to move without foreknowledge. We go trusting that God knows what he's about. A lot of times it's really about what we believe about God that sets the path for us. Do you believe that God knows what he's about? I trust you do. And I trust that you don't forget that just because the pastor's office doesn't have somebody sitting in the chair. Abraham left with the promise of God's blessing. In verse 1 to 3, he says, Go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. You will be blessed to be a blessing. Don't stop at receiving. Give. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's a timeless principle that re- is revealed in this passage And that principle is very simply, obedience gets the reward. Every time, obedience gets the reward. Young folks, don't say, well, I'm going to slip up this time and catch up with forgiveness later. You will miss the reward. God's blessing is waiting. Folks, don't settle for second best obedience gets the reward whether it's a temptation whether it's an action whether it's a decision obedience gets the reward and then we see that experiencing god through obedience leads us to greater worship You know, when you have done something and you know that God has directed and you have followed and you've been obedient, how do you feel? It's no different than a child when he walks in obedience to his parents and then he runs up to daddy's arms and gets the big hug, right? Daddy, I did what you asked. Are you pleased? Yes, I'm pleased. Look at verse 8. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east, and what did he do? He built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. As I think through those who, called, who were called to share the message that the cheese had moved, and there were many throughout Scripture, starting with Adam and Eve, moving on through Noah, through Moses, th- through Jonah, and on it goes. You get into the New Testament, and one name stands out, at least to me, and that's the Apostle Paul. He became the missionary to the very people he once saw as his greatest enemies, the outcasts, the untouchables, the Gentiles. I'm encouraged by the ministry and the mission of the Apostle Paul and others who boldly and courageously followed in his footsteps. Paul was not one to settle in and put on his slippers. He, he wore his sneakers every day. I think he wore them to bed. <laughs> he was ready to go and went, he did. He was in ministry work, not museum work. And we never must forget that the primary mission, the function of the church, is to make disciples, to sustain disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the cheese for us. That's our delight. It's our joy. It's our comfort, is to bring people to saving knowledge and then train them up to love and serve the Lord Jesus. You know, around the turn of the last century, two companies were formed, and they both had to do with moving people from one place to another. The first was the Browning Buggy Whip Company. Uh, They they were involved with moving people from one place to another. And since horses were the main uh, source of moving people, Browning put all of his effort into developing all kinds of buggy whips, all kinds of shapes and lengths and sizes and colors. Uh, The other company was the Ford Transportation Company. Also engaged in moving people from one place to another. Now it's not surprising that Browning Buggy Whips is not a common name today. <laughs> All right? Now, they've long since gone out of business, but Ford Transportation Company became Ford Motor Company. Both began dealing with horses, the basic means of moving people. The difference was that Browning saw horses as an end. in and of of themselves, and Ford saw horses as a means to their end, transporting people. Browning only hemmed and hawed about changes taking place. Some churches are in the business of looking after themselves, inward-focused. Their main purpose is to preserve the building, preserve the programs, to keep the church running, to serve the people that are here. Keeping the cheese for themselves. Outward focused churches see that the purpose of the church is to win people to the Lord Jesus and disciple them in faith. People are the priority. Uh, churches need to see their objective to win and disciple people, and those churches that do that have a great future. The focus on the church has to be Christ, it has to be Him alone, His glory. Charles Dickens wrote a book, The Tale of Two Cities. You probably read it about your junior or senior year of high school, I imagine. The opening pages are very relevant, and and they describe what we face even today. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And you say, well, how can it be both? It all depends on your perspective, doesn't it? It can be the best of times if we stay tuned to the marvelous working of the power of the Holy Spirit And allow the Spirit to provide direction for the ministry and mission for the days ahead. Follow His leading. If you ever want to see what happens when a church does that, just go to the book of Acts. There was a special event called Pentecost. It revolutionized the world. (laughs) It would also be the worst of times. If we sit around the campfire and wonder where the cheese is now, Look at all the degradation going on around us and bemoan what could have been, should have been. It can be the worst of times. You know, uh, the days of the pastor does it approach to ministry is gone. Very real. I mean, he's gone. He's done. He's moved on. (laughs) But when you bring in the next guy, it's not time to put the burden on him and say, somebody else can take over. That's not the picture of the New Testament church. The, the pastor, the model is that the whole body would work together, utilizing each one's spiritual gift for the benefit of the whole body. Now's the time maybe to assess where you fit into this body and say where can I serve and where can I minister? It may not be up front. It may be in the back. It may be up in the sound booth. It may be in the nursery. It may be writing cards or on your knees every day praying. There's a place of service for you that will benefit the body here and bring glory to Christ. Maybe it's in children's ministry, youth ministry, music, worship, adult Bible studies, audiovisual, Nursery, cards, visitation, yards and facility, benevolent responses on the list can go. but God has a place for you because He's brought you here. Don't shirk that responsibility. Very little will happen if you receive a new pastor and heave that sigh of relief. I'm thankful, as I've had opportunity to be in out of this church over the last few years, to see the interaction to see your involvement in camps and other ministries and see your involvement up here on the platform even this morning, evident of your engagement with the ministry. Don't lose that. It will bring great blessing. And eternity, I think, will reveal many blessings that we know little or nothing about today. But we're going to see the results of faithful involvement. Let me wrap this up. This is where our parable comes into play. Sniff and scurry, hem and haw. Whose part will you play? Will you be like him, hanging on to things as they are, not wanting them to change, surprised still that they may need to change? Or are you more like sniff? You got your nose in the air. You know that change is there, and you have a sense of where we need to go and how, what we need to do to get there. Maybe you're like, haw, oh, coming along a little bit begrudgingly, a little reluctant, a little afraid of what it all's going to mean. But now you're able to laugh a little bit at yourself and the resistance. You know, as, as I look at this, I look at myself and I recognize that him and ha, sniff and scurry are all embodied in my own mind and heart. Change can be difficult. It can be threatening. Somebody says, we're not so afraid to discover something new as we are to end what we know. May God give us courage, not to him and ha, but to sing and to pray and to work for the Lord in whatever cheese station the Holy Spirit directs us to. I believe today as much as I always have, and I've stated it many times in my own ministries, our best days in the Lord are always ahead of us if we're focused on the Lord and we're growing in the grace and the knowledge of Him.